Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. Down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Are you ready to get down with some D&D? I know I am, and I am joined, as I am always joined, by the memorable, miraculous, and merry Mad Wizard Merwin. What is up, Sean? I am feeling better than you are, Chris. Yes, yes, you are. I am under the weather. In fact, I am so under the weather that the day that we're recording this is not the day that we normally do, and uh, yesterday I didn't record the Misdirected Mark podcast, which hasn't happened in a very long time. You know that you're sick when Chris misses the Misdirected Mark podcast. Yeah, it's always on Tuesday evenings at 8.45 um, Eastern, but not this week. This week no. I was uh, on the couch sweating a lot, and it's really gross. I'm not really going to need to talk about it anymore. Let's move on from there. Yeah. Woo, let's go. What are we talking about today? What's first? Well, let's do some announcements first, Chris. Uh, on the D&D Twitch stream they are doing something that they're calling the D&D podcast of foes I believe they did something similar with the previous season um, with Tomb of Annihilation they lined up a bunch of uh, actual play podcasts to play some games in Schult with the Tomb of Annihilation and I now they are doing that with the Borden Cadence Tome of Foes so if you go to the D&D website, you will see all about it. Um, you can listen to D&D live play podcast community going on adventures inspired by Borden Kanan's Tome of Foes. Last year, to celebrate the release of Tomb of Annihilation, we collaborated with D&D live play podcast producers to create episodes using material from the adventure and release them on the Dungeon Delve podcast feed. So now they are going to do the same thing with a bunch of podcasters starting on May 7th and going through May 20th. That's pretty cool. Um, uh, I think it's really awesome, actually. Yeah. And there's a lot of podcasts and a bunch of them that I don't know. Yeah, so things like the Venture Maidens are kicking things off. Uh, Sneak Attack as well on May 7th. Uh, going through some of the names that I'm familiar with, Drunks and Dragons, D20 Dames, RPG Academy, uh, D&D Raw, all the way down to May 20th, where uh, Return to Greyhawk is doing their podcast. Interesting. So, yeah. So, so, so for us, the um, if that is the Redemption podcast that I am familiar with, our very own Emily from the Wednesday Evening Podcast All-Stars, and she's a super geek. She's a part of that cast a lot of the time, at least for the Star Wars stuff. I don't know if she'll be on the D&D thing, but if she is, then that's a cool thing to check out. Yep. So if you are a fan of actual play podcasts and you are a fan of Borden Kanan's Tome of Foes, then May 7th through 20th is the time for you to get your actual play on and maybe check out a new podcast that you aren't familiar with. These will be one shots as far as I'm aware. So you can get a taste of what all of these actual plays are bringing. Very cool. All right, let's move on to the next thing. Uh, Chris Perkins on writing your own adventures. So this is a, an article on D&D Beyond. It, um, you want to talk about it a little bit? Yeah, it's, it's a video about 16 minutes long where Chris Perkins talks about writing adventures for publication and for public use. And so it's, it's, a, you know, it's a basic level talk. Um, he talks about the lessons that he learned by reading and playing old school first edition adventures and then learning from publications like Dungeon and Dragon Magazine. Um, 
his first piece of advice is to deconstruct the current adventures that are out there. Uh, and then he goes on from there, and I don't want to spoil the whole video, but like I said, it's only 16 minutes long. It's on D&D Beyond, so if you follow the link in our show notes or just go to D&D Beyond and look for Chris Perkins talking about writing your own adventures, you can see it there. I just want to make a note that this, this idea of deconstructing adventures is something that I've been taking seriously since I was nine years old. And I'm going to be doing a lot of this deconstructing of adventures in a few places. I'm going to be doing it on my blog on the Encoded Designs website. And I'm also going to be doing it in the Dragon Plus column that I've started writing now for Dragon Plus magazine. Um, it's going to be called Best of the DMs Guild. Um, so we're going to be looking at, I'll, I will be looking at a lot of different products. But when I do look at adventures, I will be deconstructing them um, to talk about what's great about them, what you know, what maybe some weaknesses are, and try to give people an idea of what to look for when you're writing your own stuff to put up on the DMs Guild. Uh, speaking of that blog, I've just put up a new post um, for the first time in a while. And I'm, like I said, I'm going to start posting weekly. And the first six plus posts are going to be an evaluation of Defiance and Flan, the first 5e adventure I wrote. So I'm going to deconstruct that adventure, look at each of the mini adventures that are uh, within that product, take a look at what works, what doesn't, maybe how 5e has changed since I first wrote that adventure, and how our design sensibilities are, are changing along with the changes to the rule set. Um, that blog can be found on the encoded designs website if you go there and look for the mastering dungeons articles um, you'll find that one uh, and then by the time this podcast drops the next one should be up nice very cool mm -hmm. yeah i as much as i love writing adventures like and i really do love writing adventures i've never I, i'm more of a I've always deconstructed rule sets i've never really done a whole lot of deconstructing like adventures like i just kind of look at them, absorb them, and, you know, write stuff that I think would be useful. I probably should go through and do some of that, huh? Well, it, it doesn't hurt, even if you don't do it by writing, just to take a look at it. Even as you're running or playing an adventure, you know, you can take a step back every once in a while and just say, hmm, that, that, that thing we just did, you know, what, what was the purpose of it in, in terms of the storytelling or of the game? Um, how could it have changed to be better or what uh, you know? What could have changed to to make the thing that it was trying to accomplish be accomplished even better? Yeah, and um, we... I did. I did that in the current issue of Dragon Plus with some monster design, uh, looking at some of the powers that some of the writers on the guild gave monsters and how to rewrite them to make them clearer or better. Uh, so we, you can start to get a look at how that works if you look at the current. Uh, Dragon Plus magazine. That makes a whole lot of sense, actually. I um, we did a we did that without me even thinking about us doing that with some of the hardback books that we mm -hmm. went through chapter by chapter, kind of like taking them apart and saying what was uh what was there and what wasn't. Yep. All right. Uh, let's move on to our fourth thing. So, Baldwin Games uh, create uh, convention created content adventures on the DM skill. There's a new trilogy up, right, John? Yep, uh, we talked last week about uh, the Core 3 trilogy that went up. Now we have a Hillsfar 2 trilogy that just went up. It's a new trilogy overseen by our own Cindy Moore in the Hillsfar region. Uh, this is the 
if you if you know them by number, it's the Hills Far Two trilogy, consisting of three adventures: the Red Gathering, the Red Herring, and the Red Death. Um, the adventure designers on these were Mark Marita, Mark Napic, our own Chris Snezak, and Wayne Chang. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. It was fun. I liked writing them. It yep. was it was fun to write with people too. Like I, I get to do that every once in a while, and that's always uh, enjoyable. Yeah. Although these were written a while ago, Chris, do you remember what what the trilogy was about? Yeah. Uh, so there is a thing going on. There's there's somebody who comes to town, uh, a red wizard, and then somebody tries to assassinate said red wizard, and then there's a whole bunch of blame going on, and it's mm-hmm. about who did it. Like that's that's really the question. I'm like, and why? And yep. has a lot to do with the guilds in um, Hillsfar. Yep. So it's got a lot of Hillsfar flavor. Uh, as well as some intrigue and, of course, lots of combat and a good plot to follow through for three adventures. So, uh, you know, if you're into good adventures, even if you're not an Adventurers League player or DM, these adventures are still great for just running, you know, a two or three session mini campaign. It's true. So, yep, you can check them out. We have a link in the show notes. And you can also just go to the DMs Guild, uh, put in Baldman Games, search on that term, and you will get a full list of the Baldman Games adventures. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go to our main topic for the day, which is spreading out in the realms. So, the D&D Adventurers League, they've uh, just announced a test expansion to the Convention Created Content Program that will allow even more stories to be told. So the success of the convention created program uh, content program has led to a crowded moon sea with lots of these uh, convention created content adventures being created. So Watsi has decided to try an experiment and allow organizers who exceed certain benchmarks to access regions outside the moon sea. Uh, conventions who are offered this opportunity gain sole authority to write these convention created content adventures in their specified region. So while a uh, DDAL and DDEP or even a hardcover adventure might someday visit the region, no CCC from another convention organizer will. And the first two regions being opened in the initial trial are the Border Kingdoms for GameholeCon and the Moonshay Isles by Baldwin Games. Yes, sir. This is very exciting. I've been sitting on this information for a while. And finally, with the release of the Origins and Gen Con schedules, um, it's become public knowledge. Hey, I can even talk about this too because I'm writing one of them. Yes, yes, Chris. Yes, you are. Yeah, it's a uh, uh, it's pretty fun. I get to write in a uh, uh, moray in the Moonshay Isles, and I love the Moonshay Isles. If uh, nobody knows, it's like mythic Ireland. I love it. Yeah, when when the um, the when the DMs Guild first opened, we were trying to figure out at Encoded Designs what we wanted to do as a product, and I think my love for the Moonshay Isles and and yours um, are are well above certain other areas in, in the uh, Forgotten Realms. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I, I was super stoked, and the first product we put out was basically a Moonshay Isles adventure. Yes. Called The Five Temples of the Earth Mother, Part One, Life and Moon. Yeah, which there should be a Part Two and a Part Three, but there's not. There will be at some point, I promise. Well, I think, <laughs> I think we, can, we can say right now that one of the reasons that we we slowed down on this is because we knew this was coming and we knew it's been coming for a bit. So we wanted to not step on any toes Uh um, in in those terms. And so some of the content that we might have been working on, you know, for encoded designs may now be rolled over and used um, in, in some way for these CCC adventures. That's true. That is very true. 
and you know there are many topics that that this touches now um so the first thing is you know why is this something that we think is important important enough to talk about on the show and it's not just because this is something that we're working on um and i will be doing work in the moonshine isles for bald man games and also writing some adventures in the border kingdoms um so you know i've got I've got a vested interest in this as as a personal designer. But I think this is important for many different reasons um, that, that we can talk about. The first reason being that Wizards is willing to open up the world a little bit more in, a, in an official capacity to allow other designers to work on other parts of the realms. Now, when they opened up the guild, that was one thing. You know, that's really cool. It lets people use the Forgotten Realms IP uh, to create their own products. But these are these are official. Um, yeah, I'm not going to get it. Talk about the C word here. Talk about canon. Um, but these are, are are adventures that wizards will vet and check over and allow to be released on the guild. Um, that no other convention created content people will be allowed to do. So in that sense, it's an even bigger opening up of the wizard's IP for people to play with. Um, the second reason it's important is because they really have seen great work from conventions. Uh, I think they're surprised at how many conventions step forward to create the, this these CCC adventures. Uh, I didn't think they would I don't think they thought they would see this explosion of content. And if you go on to the DMs Guild and check out the section of convention created content, you'll see adventures everywhere. Um, so they, they wanted to reward conventions that were doing great work, um, open up the the area and the adventurers league to more of these these areas. And they want to uh, um, not just reward the people that were doing great work, but to also entice the people that are doing good work to to take it one step further and really see how um, how far they can push this. So they give in the article on the uh, D adventures league.org website, they give um, what other conventions need to do in order to move into the realm of having their own area to write their CCCs in. Um, and it's the typical things that you would see for any publisher, you know, uh, get your work in on time, do good work, uh, meet your deadlines, you know, put in the, that extra effort that shows you're really um, one of the next level producers of content. I mean, what do you think, Chris? I, I, I also think it helps that um, Gamehole and Baldwin Games have like kind of gigantic audiences as far as this kind of work goes. Right, like these adventures get played and seen by a lot of people, and they get public play a lot. Yeah, at this point, just in terms of Bald Man Games, we're putting out content at a rate that is equal to or greater than the Adventures League itself. Um, and that doesn't mean I'm not trying to compare us to the Adventures League because what they're doing is amazing work that's directly tied with Wizards, where we're we're one off. Mm -hmm. But you know the the people that we're working with, in terms of uh, of our content producers, you know we're holding them to a pretty high standard. Yeah, and and Baldwin is doing the uh, they always put out trilogies, right? Like a lot of the adventure sets are trilogies. Yep. 
So you're getting not just an adventure or even a, so the AL stuff, the the DDAL stuff is a series of adventures within a within a season. Like it actually is like a television season. It feels like that. The um the the Bowman game stuff feels feels like a mini series within within that stuff that tell ongoing stories too. It's got a lot of that. Uh, uh, did, did Living Greyhawk work a lot like that? I can't remember. Well, not really. What what? Well, we we did for a little bit with Living Greyhawk. Where we really took this from was. Uh, Baldman Games, along with uh, people like uh, Teos, Abadia, um, Chad, I lost his last name, um, and Derek Guter did the uh, Ashes of Athos campaign for mm-hmm. Dark Sun for fifth or for fourth edition, and that was through Baldman Games as well. And they decided to create trilogies to see how it would work, and it really worked well. It works well in terms, like you said, of getting a long enough story that it feels substantial without having it go on too long. Mm-hmm. So like you said, kind of like a mini series, but you know, bald man games does, does this because they need content for Gen Con origins and so on. And, you know, and the other conventions that they work with and, uh, these fit very nicely into a convention setting because you can sit and you can play the same story all day. At the end of the day, you can wrap it up and still have time to do other things at the convention, especially with a convention like Gen Con or Origins, where there's a lot of different stuff going on. You know, some people will sit down all all day, every day, and just play AL, and that's fine. But for the people that want to do different things, they want to go play board games, or they want to hit the dealer room for a day, um, having these short, tr- these shorter campaigns in the form of a trilogy really scratches the itch that they have while allowing them to to, to do other things. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I agree with that completely. I think it's a lot more fulfilling and satisfying uh, too. And like you mentioned in your blog post, the form meets the function. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So. Exactly. You know, it's, it, there's a reason that there's a, a need that's that we need to fill. And this form, this trilogy form, you know, it, it is designed that way to fit that exact need. So tell me about the Border Kingdoms. I don't know very much about them. All right. I don't want to go too much into the Border Kingdoms just because I don't want to step on the toes of uh, Gamehole Con and Gamehole Publishing. But it is an area in the southeast of the Forgotten Realms map, uh, basically directly to the east of Kalimshan. So... It is, uh, it's got the Shining Sea to its west and the Lake of Steam to its north. And the best way to describe the Border Kingdoms is a very um, political area ruled by small, uh, like, kingdoms, but they're not kings per se. So it's, it's very political. There are a bunch of small provinces, if you will, that are always fighting each other for power um, and uh, we haven't seen a lot of political play, especially in the Adventurers League at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always fighting the giants, then fighting the undead, then fighting the dragons. Um, this area is really ripe for some political intrigue where you might back one petty lord over another and and see, see what the result of that will be. So I'm very much looking forward to what uh, Alex Kammer 
and the other people at Gamehole Publishing um, will put out in their CCCs. Yeah, that should be pretty cool. All right, let's uh, switch gears then and let's talk about something that maybe you can tell a lot, us a lot more about, which is the Moonshay Isles. Yeah, now this I can talk a little bit more about because I have a bigger stake in this. Uh, the the Moonshay Isles are, for me, the best place to run a, a campaign uh, for more reasons than I can even uh, you know iterate in a one-hour podcast. Well, that's okay. We'll do another podcast where we can talk all about the Moonshay Isles if you want. There you go. For me, the Moonshay Isles are great because it, they've got a great history. Mm-hmm. Um, the very first Forgotten Realms novel was called Dark Walker on Moonshay. And uh, so that trilogy by Douglas Niles talked all about the Moonshay Isles, uh, the, its people, the threats to it, its history. Um, so it's it's probably in terms of you know historical significance in gaming the oldest region of the forgotten realms um and the most detailed in terms of that history there there we haven't seen anything from it for there, there actually I'll, I'll take that back there was another uh, trilogy of, of novels that came out about five or six years after the original trilogy, um, which I read, but I haven't reread recently. Uh, but for the most part, that area has been left alone since then. I wrote a Dragon Magazine article that for four in, for fourth edition that went back and revisited it, updated some timeline, and you know talked about the the situation there. And so we're going to use that article as a basis for the adventures that will be coming out. Very nice. Very nice. I'm a, I'm a fan because one, I mentioned earlier, it's like mythic Ireland, right? So it's also got a little bit of that mythic France to it too, because there's a, I think a continent. There's like small little land masses that are, that are in these islands. Mm-hmm. And um, Marais got all the, the lycanthropes. They got a whole werewolf thing going on there. So it's like France in the, in, in medieval times. So that's kind of fun. But uh, yeah. I'm really into the fact that it is very Grimm's fairy tale. So, I mean, any Grimm's fairy tale kind of stories that you want to tell work really well in the Moonshade Isles. And that's one of my favorite kind of fairy tales. Yeah, I I recently traveled to Scotland and England. And, you know, I got really inspired by just traveling through those countries, seeing some of the old architecture, um, some of the natural landscape, you know, seeing Stonehenge. Mm just was was very inspiring and it made me just want to get back here and continue writing more mm-hmm. um even though i had to take a week or 10 days a break from writing uh to to make that trip but it was definitely worth it but but like you say each island has its own feel its own theme even though altogether they also form a larger political social puzzle that you can really use to set cool adventures in it's true uh, because because you know, Al, the the island of of Alaron is is kind of the the quote unquote normal place. Um, it's where the High King, King Darid, has his castle, but he's struggling against um, a an incursion, if you will, from from the Feywild. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know he wants to rule all of the isles, but right now he's having trouble just holding on to his one island. 
Um, yeah. On the island of Gwyneth, there is a fae contingent that owns the owns the island, basically. Yes, sir. That, that, right. That's yeah. The uh, the queendom, if you will, of of Seraphall. and that that has its whole whole backstory, and the. Um, the queen that that rules there has her reasons. She she left uh, the Moonshays centuries ago. She pulled her realm into the Feywild to escape something, and now she's come back for her own reasons. And these are reasons that will become apparent uh, as the adventures unfold. So there's a tension between the High King and this Fey Queen, but they are both good, quote unquote good people. Um, and you know they're they're looking out for the good of all, but there is a political tension between them. Then uh, then you have another uh, race of humans called the Northlanders, who are kind of the Vikings, and they have their their own land in the north, and they have their own internal political strife going on between people that want to uh, pursue the. Um, the Viking life, if you will, of raiding and war, and those who want to combine with the other species of humans, the folk, who uh, who just you know, are farmers and 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 good overall folk. Yeah, they're good, hearty, yeah. salt of the earth kind of people. Yep. So, you know, th- there's all of that. Then there's uh, so so the. Uh, the ruler, the current ruler of the Northlanders, has his own problems keeping control of of his people. Plus, they have a, a an issue with giants. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's there's that, and that and that's just really the tip of the iceberg because you have uh, merchants of the nation of Am stirring up trouble and taking over land as fast as they can. Uh, you have pirates. You have, as you said, this this lycanthropy problem um, from the Black Blood tribe, mm-hmm. um, and then there's even other areas uh, that I'm not even going to get into that have their own little threads of intrigue or adventure that will be great places to set more adventures and to delve deeper into. So, in terms of just richness of story, these Moonshay Isles, you could write tons and tons of trilogies and barely scratch the surface it's true and then you want to get into the uh i mean maybe you don't want to but i just want to mention real quick then you have the earth mother which is a mm-hmm. uh, like a druidic goddess and the moon wells that are all over the place that are like these places of power so there's all kinds of crazy magic going on there too just like you'd expect in any kind of D game yep and so you can set adventures in a lot of different types of places uh, you could have sea adventures like crazy as people move between these islands. Um, the history of the place has very high level and powerful enemies like uh, Kazgoroth, the beast, mm-hmm. um, you know, who can threaten not just the Moonshays but the entire world. So you have that high tier uh, playground. And then the connection to the Feywild has a ton of power behind it in terms of what enemies you can bring to bear against the players. And then you so, go planner hopping, it, right? It, well, the, the CCC adventures need to stay relatively within 
uh, the the uh, the realms itself. Oh. They don't want them to go too far afield in terms of planar stuff. Mm -hmm. But you can definitely, you know, have some encounters in the Feywild, no problem. And especially because the Feywild kind of overlaps with our plane. So it's it's not like you're traveling to the Hells or to, you know, Mechanus or, or any of these really weird, crazy places. The, the, the Feywild sort of melds with the material world. Yes, and I, that's actually where I was going. Like you can yep. you can cross over into the Feywild because it's a thing because it's very, uh, very Grimm's fairy tale, very Rip Van Winkle esque, which is part of this too. Yep. So in terms of scheduling um, at Origins, we're going to be releasing the first bit of our content. Um, so there's going to be two trilogies, a tier one and a tier two trilogy for you Adventures League folks, and there's also going to be an intro adventure with four shorter adventures that kind of give you a taste of different areas of, of the Moonshase. So that will be at uh, Origins. At Gen Con, we're going to rerun those, those two trilogies and the intro adventure, as well as add two new uh, trilogies. So you'll be able to play four trilogies plus an intro adventure uh, by the time you get to Gen Con. Which is and pretty awesome. We're going to be, you know, for Bald Man Games, they're going to be pulling out all the stops. We're going to have some merchandise, some some stuff to, you know, some cool swag to give away, uh, depending on what you're interested in, what you're going to play. Um, we're going to be doing it up as best we can to to show and to to showcase the Moonshade Isles as a as a place to uh, to adventure. Very cool. So moving on from the Moonshade Isles, what do you think this means for this convention created content and uh, going forward? Because, like you said, there's a lot of it out there. There's over a hundred convention created content adventures out there now. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're an Adventures League player, you have all the content you could ever imagine um, available to you on the DMs Guild. Why why I like this uh, expansion, as I mentioned before, it gives the community new realms to play in but it also frees up other conventions to now focus more on the moon sea um, they can have more space to play there because you know between bald man games and game hall con you're talking a lot of adventures per year that were focused there um, so this lets bald man games and game hall con move out and give more breathing space to those other conventions mm -hmm. to to create uh, con memorable content in the moon sea anything else or is that all no i think i'm i think i covered pretty much everything else at the start you mm -hmm. know to just talking about what it means for D D in general i mean what this is for me is a sign that things are continuing to grow rather than shrink um, you know, there is more space. There is more players. It's just getting bigger, better. And the Adventurers League and, and Wizards is allowing creativity for creators. Um, if you have any memory of the past, it was always, no, you can't play in our space. No, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. You know, as a as a. a an organized play volunteer for years since third edition 
normally the answer was always no. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they not always, but when you asked for permission to do something or asked to do something outside the box, 95% of the time you could count on the answer being no, or at least no without these 26 restrictions. The difference I've seen with fifth edition and with wizards recently is the answer is almost always yes. It may be a yes, but think about this, but those restrictions are much, much less than they always have been. And the answer is yes, much, much more frequently. So, you know, just in terms of me as a fan and as a creator, I can't even begin to describe, although I guess I just tried to, you know, the difference in mindset from previous editions and previous iterations of Wizards to now. So the convention created content stuff, the thing I, I like about it the most is that, yeah, it's um, it's finding new ways for creators, especially people who are doing excellent work to to have their own little places to to build things, right? Like it's like a reward almost like you hit certain benchmarks like uh, and then you can do more and you can have more. So it's almost like a testing ground in some ways to for how you can uh, reach certain levels so that you can actually have more responsibility, if that makes sense. That seemed fair? Yeah, I I think that's absolutely a great way to sum up what I've been saying. Um, The the D&D stuff all all around, I know there's an open game license um, that exists in the world that people can use to make third edition or fifth edition material. But the thing I really like is like by them allowing people to use their IP and these and creating these programs like this convention created content program. Not only does it give creators the ability to make more stuff. It lets the Wizards of the People, Wizards of the Coast people, focus down on what they're making and make the best possible products that they can and really work on getting the word out about that stuff and uh, doing a better job of marketing their game than they ever have. Yeah. And uh, all of this stuff tends to funnel money back to them also. Like, they're getting a piece of it here and there, and that's way different from what a lot of it was. Yeah, I... You know, I think you hit the, those two points can't be emphasized enough. The the one about all of this uh, content created by the community, taking the pressure off wizards to just make stuff for the point of making stuff and can really focus on growing the game the way it should. That's huge. Um, Very and, much so. Yeah. And what was the second point? The second point that I made was yeah. how all, all everything that they're making um especially the the stuff with their IPs involved in it tends to funnel money back to them. Like not yep. the open game license stuff, but everything else funnels money back to them. So they're at least if, if stuff goes really well, they're not cut out of the loop. Exactly. And, and that even reinforces the first point with, you know, if they're not making a ton of money off of this, but they're making enough so that they don't have to put out that one extra or two extra books a year to, to fill the coffers, to keep the company going you know, they can really take their time and grow the game, which yeah. is just as important as creating the content. I agree. Uh, and the one the one other thing I just wanted to mention about all of this stuff that we've been talking about, Adventures League, convention-created content, all of this stuff, even if you're not in, at all interested in the Adventures League or, you know, playing the, the game the way that the Adventures League wants you to, all of these adventures all of this content is available on the dms guild for you as a dm 
to buy just like any other book. Um, and you don't need to, to play Adventurers League legal to play. These trilogies that we're talking about or any of the CCC content, you can buy just like you would buy a book off the shelf to either A, use it as written to run for your players, or B, just to, to get ideas from. And, you know, there, there used to be this stigma about organized play and I don't like the way they play or it's too restrictive or all these things. They've gotten away from that. You know, you can, you can still play these adventures without having to worry about, am I creating my character according to the adventures league guidelines? You can just buy them and play them any way you want. And a lot of them are really, really good. I would say that they, even rival or surpass some of the stuff put out by wizards in published material. I would agree. I'm glad. I mean, and, and that's another reason why I wanted to do this Dragon Plus column is to, you know, to highlight some of this stuff that, you know, not just Adventures League stuff, but all of the content that the community is creating and putting out there. You know, I want to point out the good stuff or how to make the stuff that you're writing even better. Which I'm glad that you're doing it. We need we need more stuff like that, right? <laughs> yeah. I get a little fired up about this sometimes, Chris. No, because, you, you should. You know, I've met so many awesome people in the community over the years who have great ideas and just have incredible amount of talent and skill and imagination. And this is the time for them to step up and to show what they have. And I, I want to wanna just open the floodgates and, and let all of this content out for people to enjoy i mean like one of the biggest and most difficult things about making game material especially if you don't have a company behind you uh, that is of any kind of size is that it's hard to get the word out right like that you made a thing right and it's hard to you know get art and it's hard to have your layout look great so you know that's why i want to just pick pick things up that aren't don't have beautiful covers but you know, are still good, are, are still fine content that despite not having art, despite not having professional looking layout, still is is awesome content. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, is, uh, is that everything? That's all I've got for now. All right. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Let's do a few Patreon shout outs. Uh, Scott Robinson, the Duke of Dice, Merrick Blackman, the Royal D&D Reviewer, GM Gerrymander, the Lord of the After Show, Michael Dinos, the Inquisitor of Mark, Andy Olson, the Duke of Dimensional Paradox, Brian Kurtz, the Royal Doctor of Physic, uh, Jesse Edmond, the Royal Doctor, Donnie Harville, the Lord of the Slack Room, Rob Eberzato, the Gauntlet of the Queen, and Toby Sennett, the Baron of Britannia. By the way, those titles are for our, uh, our royal court. Those are the people who give us $10 or more uh, a month, and they get a lot of other stuff too, like extra audio and things like that. And anyway, speaking of patrons, if you'd like to be a patron of Down with D&D, you can click on the link to our Patreon page on the website, and for $2 a month, you can get yourself a shout-out. Or for $4 a month, you not only get a shout-out, but you also get the pre-production show notes and an invitation to our Misdirected Mark Slack channel. Mm-hmm. If you can't help us monetarily, but you want to give us a boost, you can do so with an Apple Podcast review, which Sean showed me a whole bunch of them the other day. I know. Hey, you know, those... Uh, help even if you're not listening via Apple Podcast since many other podcatchers use Apple Podcast as their way to rate and rank the shows and it makes us more visible as does you sharing our link with uh, your social community mm -hmm. and all of you folks out there who have given us ratings and reviews thank you 
it was really nice to read them and, and they're really quite wonderful. So you are all amazing. I, I can't appreciate it more. Sean, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin or at the Downward D&D G Plus community. How about you, Chris? Uh, you can catch me at Misdirected Mark on Twitter or on the website where you can catch other great shows such as this one. Zhang Yu Hustle. Train alongside fellow students Eric Farmer and Eli Kurtz in Zhang Yu Hustle. Eric and Eli make their kung fu stronger by watching wuxia films and then discussing how to apply their observations to game design. Down with D&D is a Misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. All right, Sean, buddy old pal, what are we going to do now? We're going to go kill some monsters. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? This whole party. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D?